0: Hopefully my mic won't go off like it did on Sunday. That was a fun little exercise. Ezekiel 17. Uh, We will read, in this case, we'll read the whole chapter, 24 verses. As I mentioned, we'll, in some cases, we'll do more than one chapter, uh, but we'll move at a little different pace, at least in the the Wednesday night service. Sunday will remain very similar with what we'll be doing in Luke. But starting with verse 1 in Ezekiel 17, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, pose a riddle, and speak a parable to the house of Israel, and say, Thus says the Lord God, a great eagle with large wings and long pinions, full of feathers of various colors, came to Lebanon, and took from the cedar the highest branch. He cropped off its topmost young twig and carried it to a land of trade. He set it in a city of merchants. Then he took some of the seed of the land, he planted it in a fertile field, he placed it by abundant waters, he set it like a willow tree, and it, became, it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature. Its branches turned toward him, its roots were under it, so it became a vine, brought forth branches and put forth shoots. And there was another great eagle with large wings and many feathers, and behold, this vine bent its roots towards him, and stretched its branches toward him, and from the garden terrace where it had been, it had been planted, that he might water it. And it was planted in good soil by many waters to bring forth branches, bear fruit, and become a majestic vine. Say, thus says the Lord, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots and cut off its fruit and leave it to wither? All of its spring leaves will wither, and no great power of many people will be needed to pluck up its root. Behold, it is planted. Will it survive? Will it thrive? Uh, will it utterly? Will it not utterly wither when the east wind touches it? It will wither in the garden terrace where it grew. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, do you not know what these things mean? Tell them, indeed, the king of Babylon went to Jerusalem and took its king and princes and led them with him to Babylon. And he took the king's offspring and made a covenant with him and put him under oath. He also took away the mighty of the land, that the king might be brought low and not uh, lift itself up, but that by keeping his covenant might stand. But he rebelled against him by sending his ambassadors to Egypt, that they might give him horses and many people. Will he prosper? Will he who does such things escape? Can he break a covenant and still be delivered? As I live, says the Lord, surely in the place where the king dwells, who made him king, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, with him in the midst of Babylon he shall die. Nor will Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company do anything in the war, when they heap up a siege mound and build a wall and cut off many persons. Uh, since he despised the oath breaking the covenant, in fact, he gave his hand and uh, still did all these things, he shall not escape. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath which he despised and my covenant which he broke, I'll recompense on his own head. I'll break my net over him and he shall be taken in by snare I'll bring him into Babylon and try him there for the treason which he committed against me. All of his fugitives with all of his troops shall, be fall, shall fall by the sword and those who remain shall be scattered to every wind and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken. Thus says the Lord God, I'll also take one of the highest branches of the high cedar and set it out. And I'll crop it off from the topmost of the young twigs, a tender one, and will plant it on a high and prominent mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it and it will bear forth boughs and bear fruit and a majestic cedar. And be a majestic cedar. Under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches they will dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree, dried up the green tree, and made the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and done it. Father, we just ask again tonight as we gather here, your children, we pray that you would speak to each and every one of us. Lord, thank you for the ministry of your word, the power of it. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would give to each person that which we need from you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Remember when you were um, little? Maybe you still say this one to the kids sometimes. Some of you work in children's ministry. I haven't heard this in a long time, but but this was common when I was growing up. Kind of went like this: Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Remember that one? Who doesn't? I didn't even like it as a kid. I I got tired of hearing it. It was actually first published by Samuel Arnold's Juvenile Amusements in 1797. And uh, you usually see Humpty Dumpty every time it was portrayed and even in the old books where the nursery rhymes. Humpty Dumpty was always portrayed as an egg, right? Because when an egg falls, try putting an egg back together again. And the, the picture there is, you know, once, once an egg hits the ground, uh, you could sit there painstakingly trying to put every little shell. It's not going to get back together again. Especially, you know, you have a raw egg, uh, you've got more problems than just the outside, right? So it's never going to be put back together again. And yet, as the nursery rhyme, and originally they they think that originally when that was uh, first published back in the 1700s, that it may have originally been a riddle, uh, and there's different kind of thoughts on what it actually meant. But I'll tell you what, for us today, looking back historically as well as uh, in in our own lifetime now, uh, you'll always see all the king's men, all the smart men trying to figure everything out. When God has already told us what we should be doing, He told Israel what to do, uh, Zedekiah, who we'll hear a little bit about in this, uh, in this chapter, um, not named by name, but uh, we're going to see that uh, he is plays a prominent role in this particular chapter. Um, and he had a lot of men that were his counselors and wise men and uh, people that would give him uh, advice and Uh, You know, down through history, and and again, at all times, uh, leaders have a cabinet, or counselors, or advisors, ambassadors, who try and give, uh, well, I think we should do things this way, and economically if we did things this way, and socially if we did this thing, uh, and maybe if, you know, we education-wise we did it this way, uh, then everything would be right. Imagine if we uh, took the smartest people, uh, and gave them total control and say everything, that net, not people that follow the Lord, they're just people that everyone recognizes, well, these must be the smartest people. And let them do everything exactly the way they want to do. Well, this has happened before anyway, and how does it always end up? It never works. Israel, they were told back in Deuteronomy, turn back to Deuteronomy 28 for just a second, we visited there. Uh, from time to time. I want to take a look at it again for, uh, for those of you that maybe weren't in some of the previous Ezekiel studies. When Moses uh, led the children of Israel, chapter 28, often called the chapter of blessings and cursings, 14 verses on blessing, 54 vet- verses on a warning and judgment. Uh, but if you look at uh, Deuteronomy 28, the first couple of verses, Look at verse 1, now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments, that your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. Notice it doesn't say, if you have the smartest counselors, if you have the greatest policies, if you have the best and brightest ideas to ever come down the pike you'll be high above the nations. The formula is just too simple, isn't it? If you'll obey the Lord. But it can't be that simple, can it? You have to have the the smartest, the brightest, you have to have the genius ideas, you have to get with the times, you have to think like the Egyptians, think like the Assyrians, think like the Romans, think like the nations around them. You have to figure everything out, you have It can't be as simple as just obey the Lord. Yet that was what Israel was told. You know, at this time they had Moses. Wouldn't you agree Moses was one of the greatest leaders the world's ever seen? They had a great leader, although, again, he was just a humble servant. And he's telling them, here's the way it's going to go. You guys will be blessed as a nation if you'll do this one simple thing. Just obey the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Who doesn't want to be overtaken by blessings? Overwhelmed by blessings because you obey the voice of the Lord. Verse 3, Blessed you shall be in the city. Blessed you shall be in the country. Some of you are city folks. Some of you are country folks. Some of you are from the country. Some of you are from the city. Some of you prefer the city. Some of you prefer the country. God said to Israel, it'll be fine. You can live in the city or the country as long as you guys as a collective people will obey and follow the Lord, you'll be blessed in the country, you'll be blessed in the city. Isn't that great? That's, you don't feel safe everywhere, do you? The Lord was like, the whole area will be safe and secure. You'll be blessed, verse 6, and drop down to verse 6, when you go out, or when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise who rise against you, Verse 7. This is very important, verse 7. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come against you one way, and they shall flee before you seven ways. Notice the Lord didn't say, and if you have the strongest military defense on planet Earth, and if you have the best generals, and if you have all of these things at your disposal, you you have a fighting chance. All the Lord says is it's going to come down to whether you obey me or not. So the, now the rest of the chapter, we don't have time to go through it. Read verses 15 uh, through 68. Uh, the Lord gives, you know, 54 verses of warning that uh, if you don't follow these things, nothing can possibly protect you. So the reverse is also true. If you had the best, the brightest, the greatest military, the best education, it couldn't possibly be of any value, and it wouldn't be able to sustain you or keep you. Turn back to uh, Ezekiel 17. This chapter, it's dated. Uh, it's dated around 588 B.C. This uh, was given to Ezekiel two years before the destruction of Jerusalem. If you've been with us, destruction of Jerusalem 586 B.C. Um, remember that Babylon had come against the city two times prior, but the, the utter destruction was 586 B.C. So this hasn't taken place. Jerusalem is still at a, is, is in a place of uh, peace and at least in its own mind security uh, when Ezekiel is given this in 588 B.C., two years before the destruction. If you're interested in the history uh, of this period, you can read about it in 2 Kings 24, uh, 2 Chronicles 36, which we're going to look at uh, in just a bit. Uh, Also, Jeremiah 36, 37, and Jeremiah 52. You can look at this particular period of history. But a little less than 30 years earlier than this time, so go back a little less than 30 years earlier, and the two dominant regional powers were Assyria and Egypt. Egypt to the south coming up, Assyria from the north uh, down, and of course Assyria took away the ten tribes in the north uh, that had uh, the northern kingdom had been conquered by Assyria. Assyria. In 606 BC, the combined armies of Egypt and Assyria, the the two armies came together, but they were defeated by Babylon, which effectively ended the Assyrian Empire, and then Egypt retreated back to Egypt to fight another day. Egypt survived and and remained uh, a dominant power, though its power, even at that time, dropped a notch or two below Babylon's power. And when Ezekiel receives the message from the Lord uh, here in chapter 17, uh, the regional powers are now Babylon and Egypt, but Babylon is continuing to gain strength and is moving towards even greater power. Egypt is trying to maintain its current power base and, if possible, regain some of its power back, uh, the former status that it has. But Babylon and Egypt, they were rivals, you know, Babylon... All, you know, you go east of Jerusalem and over to where would be modern day Iraq and, and Persia, and then all the way up through the nor- northern Israel and up to Turkey, uh, through Assyria there, Jordan. But Judah sits right in the middle between Egypt and Babylon. So we want to look at uh, tonight um, what takes place here uh, if a nation is falling apart. What would a nation do? What should a nation do? What could a nation do? Well, obviously, God is saying, listen to my prophets. The only ones that can put the egg back together is God. Folks, our salvation is a picture of this. Uh, I explain to people when I talk about salvation that when it comes to actually putting the pieces back together, we are not like, um, I don't know, uh, like a little tiny... uh, piece of clothing that's sewed back and looks looks right again. We're more like a broken vase into thousands of pieces and God comes along and our salvation he put us completely back together. Well this is Israel's only hope. And here it's getting late on the clock and they're not going to make the right choice and the destruction is going to be significant. The opportunities have been there to heed Moses' warning all the way back to Deuteronomy 28, the prophets of that very day, Jeremiah, Ezekiel of course is already in captivity and uh, yet at the same time Israel continues to not listen to the Lord, but instead listen to their own wisdom, their own counsel. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled our time in the word The Peril of Self-Made Solutions The Peril of Self-Made Solutions and this is exactly what Judah Uh, is doing they're looking for solutions they recognize that um, you know if they want to continue to prosper they're going to need some help but rather than get that help from God they start looking elsewhere and come up with their own solutions that'll be devastating three things that we'll look at in the text tonight first the parable second the prophecy and last the promise first the parable which is verses 1 through 10, and then uh, we'll look at the prophecy and the, pr- uh, the promise. If you're here with us last week, taking a look at this parable first, uh, last week we saw in chapter 16 uh, that Israel, specifically the city of Jerusalem, was compared to a young woman. First the young woman was rescued. You saw the as a baby lying there in blood, still with the umbilical cord and everything. Then the young woman uh, grows up to be beautiful Uh, She eventually enters into a marriage relationship with the Lord, but then chooses to forsake the marriage, prostitute herself, and then chooses all manner of evil and immorality rather than the purity and the protection of the Lord. So the Lord gives us that, that picture of a marriage and a woman who forsakes the marriage and prefers to leave the relationship, the covenant relationship that was entered into. And obviously the protection, and then the Lord says that the judgment would be grave uh, in in the fact that uh, because the sins had been even worse than Sodom, even worse than Samaria, uh, that the judgment would be significant. Here the Lord gives Ezekiel another metaphor, and it's in the form of a parable once again, but the exact meaning is a little more hidden. Hence the reference to the pose of a riddle in verse 2, son of man, pose a riddle, and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Um, in verse three, I mentioned that the exact meaning is a little more hidden. certainly the Israel uh, those that were uh, of Israel or Judah that day could have figured this out as they thought through it.' it wasn't, it wasn't hidden that they couldn't understand it, but it wasn't as self-explanatory as the previous uh, parable that we looked at in chapter 16. Now, the Lord gives Ezekiel these words, a great eagle with large wings and long pinions, in verse 3. In verse 3, this is the first of two great eagles that are mentioned in this uh, this parable. And this eagle, it signifies the king of Babylon, none other than Nebuchadnezzar. And he comes down, uh, it says that uh, uh, full of feathers of various colors, uh, just royal, majestic, majestic a great kingdom. Uh, he comes to Lebanon. Well, when he descended, um, as he came up the Euphrates and took, uh, you know, took, uh, took out the Assyrian Empire and comes down through what would be uh, part of Lebanon, part of Syria as well. Uh, but he comes down through Lebanon and Babylon would replace the Assyrians as the dominant empire, all in that northern area, which we used to be uh, governed by the Assyrians. And the, and the eagle descends on a cedar. He cropped off its topmost twig, uh, or t- it says in verse 3, and he took this cedar at the highest branch, cropped off the topmost twig. So this cedar represents Judah. And this topmost twig, or this highest branch, uh, this twig is, ver- is, uh, is the very young King Jehoiakim who was carried away in captivity along with 10,000 other nobles. Uh, some were military uh, some, they were all educated, those that were considered the cream of the crop uh, of the people were carried away, and King Jehoiakim was taken away uh, in, their, in that captivity as well. And then in verse 5, it says, and he took some of the seed of the land, and he planted it in a fertile field, and he placed it by abundant waters and set it like a willow tree to grow. Now what, uh, what Nebuchadnezzar did, he ended up taking uh, Zedekiah, who was uh, the uncle of, of Jehoiakim. So Jehoiakim, who was taken away uh, as a youngster, was taken to Babylon with the other ten thousand. Uh, he was actually briefly made king, but that didn't last but a couple of months. And Zedekiah he made king. And he made he gave Zedekiah what was more like a governorship. So Judah became a tributary or a vassal kingdom to Babylon. And as long as, as long as Judah obeyed the governmental dictates of Babylon, they would do fine. They were I mean, uh, they, they, weren't, they weren't going to be uh, beaten down or, or enslaved or anything like that. They could live like a normal country, if you will, or, or state, uh, but they were a tributary to Babylon. And they entered into a covenant, as a matter of fact, King Zedekiah pledged his allegiance, swore to uh, his own, the God of his father's allegiance, and uh, he was advised by Jeremiah and others uh, to never, never turn away from that, to, to make sure that if you wanted to stay safe, you're just going to have to be uh, a reduced, you're, you're not going to be your own you know, sovereign nation. You're going to answer to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it talks about, uh, verse 6, it says, Uh, Became a spreading vine of low stature. Uh, Nobody really wants to be a vassal kingdom. Right? But it beats being a dead kingdom. Right? Nobody really wants to be a dead man. And you could live effectively the same standard of living. It's just the bottom line was, if you say, are you the boss? King Zedekiah, he's like, well, I am here. But really, Nebuchadnezzar can trump anything that I say. I mean, I do I do answer to him, and if he says jump, I pretty much say how high. And so he had the opportunity to remain there, to prosper, and they did prosper. The vines start, the roots start to go down. Jerusalem was still prospering. Uh, Sadly, instead of using that prosperity to worship the Lord. That's not what they were doing. We'll look at that when we get to 2 Chronicles. Uh, You look at our own nation. We've been been given a lot of prosperity too, haven't we? Are we using that prosperity to serve the Lord? To obey the Lord? Or are we producing more and more sin as a nation that's rising up into the heavens, into the nostrils of God? This is exactly what was happening with Israel you ever notice that God kind of gives stays of execution in and, and waves because you know you look and say well the northern kingdom didn't survive and a bunch of the cities of Jerusalem didn't survive then Jehoiakim's carried away uh, the other the other king before that was killed you know, you've got uh, many people that have already been carried away into captivity Um we've been greatly reduced, we're now a vassal kingdom that we answer and report to. It would be kind of like the colonies in America were to King George, right? It, you basically had, uh, you answered to a kingship that was far away, but still uh, the orders would be enforced. But but God had let at least those that remain remained there say, I've given you mercy, you could have been completely wiped out, but you're actually able to stay here and be safe. And with that safety, they just continued to live for themselves. Then uh, it goes on, verse 7, there was another great eagle with large wings and many feathers, and behold, this vine, the vine that was bent towards Babylon, suddenly starts to bend its roots towards this other great eagle. Well, this other great eagle is Egypt. And what happened is King Zedekiah, uh, after a little while, he decided, you know, I think if Egypt and I team up, we can, uh, we can take Babylon, and uh, I'd rather be in alliance with Egypt than be in a vassal supporting or, or, or subordinate position to Babylon. So the second eagle, we don't know exactly which pharaohs it is. There's some disagreement about which pharaoh it was at the time, but but it was uh, Egypt and one of the pharaohs that he turns his uh, allegiance to. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is not going to respond well to this. The entire parable here illustrates the self-made plans of King Zedekiah. who uh, was under this uh, uh, covenant oath to Nebuchadnezzar, And he's going to not only is it going to cost him dearly, but it's going to cost the people as well. And so the Lord asks, um, if if this uh, if this change takes place, if the vine that was bent towards Babylon, but instead it bends towards Egypt and decides, I'm not going to keep the covenant with Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to turn to Egypt for help. Verse nine, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots and cut it off? He being Nebuchadnezzar. Will Nebuchadnezzar not say, "Uh-uh," and leave it to wither, and all of its spring leaves will wither with no great power or many people needed to pluck it up by its roots? Verse ten it says, "Will not, be, will not it utterly wither when the east wind?" The east wind would come in the in the in the hot summer months. The east wind, even if you go to Israel today you're down the Jordan River Valley, uh, the hot desert winds that would be on the other side of the Jordan, the east side of the Jordan, uh, in the nation of Jordan and, and part of Syria as well, where, the, where it's bone dry desert, and the, uh, the winds can you know, whip up, and it's a stifling hot wind. That's why when that stifling hot wind hits the cool waters of the Sea of Galilee, that's why the Sea of Galilee can get massive storms that look more like... Uh, hurricanes, because the hot wind hits the cool water there, and it creates the it creates storm conditions, big thunderstorms. But the hot, dry winds that come across is a picture of Babylon, a hot, dry wind that will just melt anything in its path and incinerate what's left of Judah. There. Let's look at the prophecy. Well, the Lord, um, we have the we have the parable, and I've given you a little, quite a bit of the background. Uh, the Lord uh, really explains all of it in verses 11 through 21. And he says in verse 12, uh, Say now the rebellious house, do you not know what these things mean? So we know, tell them indeed the king of Babylon, that's the first great eagle. And he took, uh, he went to Jerusalem and took its kings and princes and led them away. And uh, this is exactly how Ezekiel ends up in Babylon. He was Daniel as well. They were both taken away uh, as captives and they were considered Remember, Ezekiel was from the priesthood, Daniel, who who was in the first captivity taken away, uh, Daniel was uh, considered young and uh, and, um, very well-educated, good-looking, all of those things. So he always took the best and the brightest over to Babylon to then turn them into good Babylonians. Remember, if you read the book of Daniel, they tried to turn Daniel and uh, his friends into Babylonians and Daniel would never, he would never relent. He always remained true to the Lord. But so the Lord says, Hey, the king of Babylon, he went to Jerusalem, took all of them back, then he made the king's offspring. In verse 13, the covenant put him under oath. That's Zedekiah. that uh, That the kingdom might be brought low and not lifted itself up, but by keeping its covenant it would be able to stand. It had low stature, but it would be able to stand as long as it kept the covenant. But he rebelled, verse 15, by sending his ambassadors to Egypt. That's the other uh, great eagle there, that he might give him horses and many people. Will he prosper? He who does such things, can he break a covenant and still be delivered? As I live, says the Lord, surely in the place where the king dwells who made him king, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke with him in the midst he shall die. See the covenant again. The Lord, uh, the Lord had given the counsel through Jeremiah, exactly what to do. Do not deviate. If you want to survive, if you want the people to survive, do not deviate from it. But Zedekiah chose a different route, and he chose to say, "You know, I don't think, uh, I don't think that Jeremiah knows what he's talking about. I don't think that God." knows what he's talking about. I think Egypt is a really good solution. And then he talk, turns to all his, uh, his, his counselors and ambassadors and cabinet and said, what do you guys think? And they all say, we're with you. Egypt. And anybody, yeah, you can imagine someone in the group saying, I'm pretty sure Jeremiah said, do not go that route. Yeah, but Jeremiah have you seen him lately? We put him in the junk, we put him in the dungeon. He's not near as smart as us. He didn't go to an Ivy League school. Right? He's just a prophet. And Zedekiah will continue to not only go down this path of a different solution, exactly opposite of what the Lord told him to do. But the people will actually be getting into continually more sin. F. B. Meyer said, The greater the man, the dearer the price he pays for a short season of sinful pleasures. The greater the man, the dearer the price he pays for a short season of sinful pleasures. And in Zedekiah and the people were absolutely participating in sinful pleasures. With all the God had kept them alive. They were continuing to be prosperous, and instead of actually turning to the Lord because of that, they continued to thumb their nose at God, continued to be immoral, be idolatrous, be rebellious. That's why the Lord says, speak to this rebellious house. And this is true of a nation, too, not just an individual, right? Actually, you know, F.B. Meyer was talking about when he said that statement, He's talking about King David. Cost David dearly, didn't it? when David turned away from the Lord, it cost the kingdom, it cost David. But it's always true, not just of individuals. If a great man of the Lord decides to forsake the Lord and participate in sinful pleasures, it will cost him dearly. But it also cost a great nation, particularly Israel was a great nation that had borne the name of the Lord. The temple represented true and living God. There was no idols in it. Even, even the ancient people would say it's a building with no, no gods in it that were visible. Why? Because it was the spirit of the living God that lived in it. It didn't have big things of Dagon or Molech or any of the ancient gods. In our nation as we looked at last week with a, in God we trust. We bear the Lord's name too. Even if people say, why well, I didn't choose that? Well, it's too late. Our ancestors did, right? And so we bear the name, and if we choose sinful pleasure, if we choose rebellion, we'll bear the responsibility as well. As we talked about, national sins must be paid for. Individual sins are paid at the cross. National sins will be paid. Every nation will pay for national sins, one way or another. The Tribulation will, will finally sort out every single nation. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I want to look just for a minute so you see exactly how Zedekiah was leading and why God was so furious with Zedekiah. The judgment was going to come. The thing is even if judgment's going to come don't you want it to not be on your watch? Right? Right? Don't you want to be at least the, the one who stood in the gap that judgment was not on your watch? That you remained faithful to the Lord. If it had to come, it would come when someone else said no thanks to the Lord, but you and I remain faithful. But Zedekiah didn't do this. Chapter 36, starting verse 11, you see how young he was when he became, when he became king. And, and again, He wasn't king like David or Solomon because he was a vassal king. He had to report to Babylon, which he didn't like. Verse 11, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. This is is his um, memoirs. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, his God, and he did not humble himself, very arrogant man. Before Before Jeremiah the prophet, he never listened to Jeremiah who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. See, Jeremiah was never just a guy. Jeremiah was getting words just directly from God, and Zedekiah would say, I couldn't care less what you and God have to say. Verse 13, And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear an oath by God. Remember, he, I said he swore to Jehovah. You swore to, to the true and living God. You know the Bible says you don't want to make an oath that you don't intend to keep. But he did, especially in the old. Aren't you guys under grace now? By the way, that's that's more than an Old Testament thing. It's not that we should go around aimlessly making oaths. We don't. But under the New Covenant, we've all broken some oaths. I'm sure of it here, right? And yet we can be forgiven. But uh, it was a big deal under the law to make oaths that you did not keep. And the Lord had given him the instructions by Jeremiah, and he took an oath. But he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God. And he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Remember when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees? He talks about their stiff-neckedness. Stephen said it the day he got stoned. You stiff-necked just like your fathers before it. And this was Zedekiah, stiff-necked, rebellious. He did evil. Verse 14, moreover, all the leaders of the priest, now you have the pastors, and the people transgressed more and more. The pulpit was turned into false teaching, all on his watch. And the people transgressed more and more. You thought, well, they couldn't get worse than they were before the ten ten tribes were taken away, the other cities. No, they did. They continued to get worse and worse, more arrogant even while the clock was ticking. They don't even know they're two years away from Babylon destroying the city in 588 B.C. According to all the abominations of the nations, everything the nations around them did, child sacrifice, immorality, and they defiled the house of the Lord. They took the temple, and the temple became idolatrous as well which he, capital H-E, the Lord, had consecrated in Jerusalem. Look at verses 15 through 21. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them. Think of our own nation too. God has been sending warnings to us for years. A.W. Tozer. Leonard Ravenhill. Jim Cimbala. David Wilkerson. I could go on and on. God has been sending man after man after man. Well, some people say, I've never even heard of these men. Well, that is not the Lord's fault. Right? As Ray Comfort says, they can't find... uh, It's just like the, uh, the thief who can't seem to find a cop. Right? Because they're in all the wrong places. But the Lord was sending... Their fathers sent warnings to them by messengers, rising early, sending them because he had... come. Why? Look at what it says. When God sends warnings to our country and any other country, because he has compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, and despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who's Nebuchadnezzar, who killed their young men with the sword by the house of the sanctuary, and he had no compassion on young man or on virgin or the aged of the weak, and he gave them all into his hand and all the articles from the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king and his leaders, and he took all of them to Babylon. Then he burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all of its palaces with fire and destroyed all of its precious possessions." Those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the king of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Zedekiah, it was on his watch that he was given a reprieve and he turned his attention and said, I don't believe Jeremiah. I think a, an alliance with Egypt will work. Egypt never came to their defense. Egypt was of no help when Babylon, Egypt had its own problems to deal with. Egypt did not stand a chance against Babylon by the time Babylon reached that zenith. When you think about our own nation, sometimes I think I, when I'm watching our nation, it feels like I'm watching a still movie. You know? There's no words. You just kind of watch it moving. Bob Hope. You guys remember Bob Hope? He was funny back in the day. I remember watching as a kid. He'd be these Bob Hope specials when I was a kid in the mid-70s. Uh, he said this. He said, it's a wonderful world. It may destroy itself, but you'll be able to watch it on TV. <laughs> it's true of our nation, too. It's a wonderful nation. It might destroy itself, but you can watch it live on TV. But you know, the things that are destroying the nation, people don't recognize as destroying the nation. They don't recognize that what they're watching is a fire that's already started burning. Zedekiah didn't recognize it either. The whole time he was actually living it up, the people were living it up, the priests had corrupted the temple, there was false teaching, the people were immorality, the whole nation was thumbing its nose in God, they're having delegations go down to Egypt, they're talking with Egypt. By the way, Egypt was no friend of theirs anyway. Egypt had put them under tribute as well. They couldn't even tell who their friends and foe were. But while they were so mixed up and so confused, but at the same time, obnoxious before the Lord, and all at the same time, trying to have a whole lot of fun, they didn't realize that the fuse had already been lit. This Ezekiel gets this, it's 588 B.C. They're two years away from being destroyed, and they don't even know it. And you might wonder, like I would, what would have happened if they had repented? What if, what if they'd have come to their senses? I still think Israel would have been destroyed, but it would have been stayed. It wouldn't have been on Zedekiah's watch. It would have been prolonged. What You and I, I believe America will someday be judged. As the body of Christ, one thing we can do is we can stand in the gap and it not be on our watch. Now I don't know, the Lord may say one way or the other, he's the only one that knows. It may come in our lifetime, may not come in our lifetime. I don't want to have the attitude that Hezekiah had. It was a godly man, but boy, when he found out that Israel would not be judged before he died, he said, well, at least I won't see it happen. Well, I don't want to see it happen to my kids either. How about you? I wouldn't want to pass that on to another generation. So we must turn from our sins as a people, not only for our own good, but for our children and our children's children. I mean, Zedekiah, it's not just about you. It's about everybody else, too. But then there's us individually. We can, we can really be kind of foolishly coming out with our own solutions too. Let's look just briefly at the book of James. Turn over to James, James chapter 4. Even as Christians, well, good thing none of this applies to me because, uh, you know, I I don't have the... Propensity of Zedekiah to uh, just completely rebel against the Lord. I'm not living a life that way, but we still can be, even as believers, we can sometimes come up with our own plans. And the Lord warns us too. Even those of us that love the Lord, we still need to be on guard of just coming up with our own solutions instead of really listening and hearing from the Holy Spirit. Look at James chapter 4 starting with verse 13. You're probably familiar with these passages, but it's good to look at them again. James 4, verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. What did it say about Zedekiah? He was arrogant, boastful. And even believers, we can, we can start to just kind of operate in the flesh. We're acting like a little bit of a Zedekiah ourselves. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And So James r- r- warns us individually. As I mentioned, as we go through this Old Testament chapter, I want to always have it be applicable to us from a discipleship standpoint. When I look at Israel, I can see it as a nation. I see it parallels our own nation. I see the mirror of what we're doing versus what ancient Israel did. But, But I also want to look at me personally and say, how often am I just kind of making my own rationale that I haven't prayed about? Or maybe the Lord has really given me counsel in His Word, and I'm not taking it to heart. ignoring some things. James is warning, do not live a life where you just kind of get up every day and say, I think I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And God says, how do you know you're going to make it to that? Instead, you ought to say, Lord, is this your will? Is it your will that I make these plans? Because they may not be the Lord's plans. Let's look lastly we come to a close and go back to Ezekiel 17 to look at this um, wonderful promise at the end. Aren't you glad God throws good news into <laughs> these <laughs> devastating chapters? After Babylon's going to be destroyed, we, we don't need to read it again in Ezekiel. You've just read the historical account of it in Second Chronicles. But in the last couple of verses, verses 22 to 24, the Lord says, I will also take one of the highest branches. I will also take one of the highest branches. The Lord says, Remember that first great eagle? It took one of the highest branches. That great eagle doesn't make it. Actually, neither of the great eagles are going to make it. They both find their own judgment, just like Israel's judge. So is Babylon and so is Egypt. God's no respecter of nations or people. Egypt was wicked, Babylon was wicked. Israel was wicked. All three of them received their own judgment in their own time. But the Lord says, but by the way, I'm going to take a top of the cedar, which was Israel. And the Lord says, the little piece that I take will spring into mighty power. Because the piece that the Lord consecrates will be holy, will be pure, will be righteous. The Lord says, I will take one of the highest branches. What it means by the highest branches in both passages, that meant the royal line. That's why it says the Babylon. He took one of the highest branches. Jehoiakim first, then Zedekiah, because they were of the royal bloodline of David. But God says, I'm going to take one of the royal bloodline, and we know that uh, Joseph and Mary were both from the royal bloodline of David. One of the cedar. Cedar represented Israel here, and I'll plant it on a high and prominent mountain. And we got it you know, just not this Sunday, the following Sunday. We're going to be remembering the resurrection. And because of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the mountains of Jerusalem, that planted the coming kingdom. Amen? The coming kingdom was planted by the very blood of Jesus dripping into the ground. God plants the kingdom that Jesus said, Thy kingdom come. And God's kingdom was coming down with the arrival of Christ. But of course, it planted and went deep with the resurrection and the death and resurrection. Verse 23: On the mountain, the height of Israel, I will plant it, and I will bring forth bows and bear fruit. It will be a majestic cedar under which all the birds of this sort, the shadow of the branches, they will dwell. The Lord says, the high tree will be uh, the high tree, and the exalted low tree. Uh, the high tree will be brought down, and the low tree will be brought up. Jesus looked like he had been defeated, didn't he? The low tree. He looked like he was the king defeated. The Roman Empire looked like the kings of the world, the emperors of the world. But Jesus was the low coming up out of the grave, rising up to sit at the right hand of the Father, making earth his footstool. And then someday, that very branch, as Isaiah 4.2, that day... The branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. We're we're grafted into Israel through salvation. We have escaped the death and the punishment that we deserve. In Jeremiah 23, 5, the same prophet that had warned Zedekiah said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up to David a branch of of righteousness a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth finally there's coming a day the lord says where there will be a king in israel that won't mess up like david did that won't mess up like solomon did that certainly will not be rebellious like zedekiah but there'll be finally a righteous king who will be all that israel had ever needed and the whole world will in fact worship this king Zechariah three eight here O Joshua the high priest you and your companions who sit before you for they are a wondrous sign behold I am bringing forth my servant the branch it's a Jesus I could read verse after verse after verse we don't have time to read them all but the Lord the world's going to see it in Isaiah chapter six verse 18 so it said the holy seed shall be its stump the Lord's going to take the little stump. It's going to grow into a massive kingdom. And you know what's wonderful for us is those of us who have been saved, uh, we'll get to come back with Jesus and to rule and reign. And we won't have to worry about the Nebuchadnezzars and we won't have to worry about the alliances or any of that stuff. Jesus will be in total control, amen? And we won't even have to worry about us being tempted to act the way James warns us not to, will we? As our sin nature will be gone. We won't have to worry about, you know, being uh, led away and and uh, constantly, you know, leaning to our own understanding. All of that stuff will be gone. Isn't that going to be wonderful? And the Lord won't. The former sins won't be remembered. No one will ever remember that David fell once. All those things will be gone. But the Lord, to us, it's still a reminder that. Um, there is a way that seems right unto a man, isn't there? But the end there is death, isn't it? And that we don't want to be like Israel. We don't want to have self-made solutions. We don't want to come up with our own ideas. We don't want to say, well, I think. You know, God does not care what we think. He doesn't. Because he knows that we don't really think that well. But he says, if you would just hear me, you're going to prosper. Back to Deuteronomy 28. Go back and read those 14. They're beautiful, aren't they? Now, metaphorically, in the Christian life, we can experience those 14 verses. We can experience the protection of the Lord. We can experience the joy of the Lord. We can experience God defeating our enemies. If Paul wrote to the Romans, you'll soon crush Satan underfoot. Satan's powerful, but not to the believer filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And Zedekiah could have had that relationship with God. Instead, he chose to be God's enemy. And it was a disaster, wasn't it? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that as you said there in Chronicles, you sent warnings. You sent the prophets to warn because you had compassion for the people. And your warning to us, Lord, is not... Grievous, it's not to punish us, Lord. your're warning to us, even through your servant James, your half-brother in the flesh, Lord, Your warning is that we would experience the joy of the Lord in our life. Your protection, your grace. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us. If an area is even now, you're reminding us by your spirit where we've been leaning to our own understanding, our own solutions. And Lord, let us look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are dismissed.